0: we're continuing our series called Sometimes You Just Have To, and there's one verse that we've looked at each week that's sort of the foundation for this series, and I'll start with that. It's from the New Testament book of James, and it says, in the same way, faith by itself, if it does not, what is the word? Prove. If it does not prove itself with actions, it's what? So it's saying that, that if we are saying that we have returned to our Creator, Christ, in trust, in faith... But it's not having any impact on our life. It is not changing the way that we live, the way we think. That we're kidding ourselves, we're deceiving ourselves. Faith by itself, if it does not prove itself with actions, it's dead. Another version says, so then faith that doesn't involve action is what? Phony. So that's why this series, sometimes you just have to. When you trust God and he says something to us in his word, the only proof that we actually trust him is that we take his word seriously And we act upon it. There's another part of this series that I've shared with you each week, a couple statements that I put together. It says, God always intended our relationship with him to be dynamic because it's a personal relationship with Christ. He's always teaching us new things, always wanting us to learn new things and follow him in doing those things. So it's dynamic, but it's also developmental. The dynamic is the result of our trust in God, not trust about God, but trust in God And the development is the result of our obedience to God. You know and I know a person can sit in a place like this in a church 20, 30 years, but if they never put God's word in action, they will not change at all. They might be able to use religious cliches and things, but their character will remain unchanged. You and I are transformed. We we develop as we obey what God actually teaches us is the way that we're designed to live. So... Again, sometimes you just have to is the notion of this series, that there's action that's required when we actually have faith or trust in Christ. So today we come to sometimes you just have to lead something. Now, I know that uh, for many of us, we, we think in terms of, you know, well, I, I'm not a leader, Randy, so this, this doesn't really apply to me. But that's not what this is about. There is a gift of leadership. Romans 12, chapter 8 talks about a gift of leadership that God gives to some. That's entirely different. But what we're talking about today is there absolutely will be a time or times in your life where God wants you, wants me to lead something. We're not talking about being a leader. We're talking about, though, seasons, times where God wants us to lead something. And the reason he wants this is because there are certain character traits in us that can't develop unless we experience the unique structure and pressure of leading something. There are people that won't be touched and lives blessed unless you and I are willing to uh, seize those God-determined opportunities for us to lead. Now, I know that some of you are thinking right now, this, this is just not me. You don't understand. Uh, you know, I have problem communicating, and I don't feel adequate, and I don't feel that I'm, I'm credible, and and there's so many reasons why you feel like that you're just not the person to lead. But I can promise you, God is absolutely going to call you at times to lead something. And, and don't think in grandiose terms. Just, let me just to get your, your mind going a little bit. Uh, how many of you in here have children or have had children? Can I see your hands? We're talking big time leadership. <laughs> you were called to lead something for a solid period of time. So that's what we're talking about. Uh, we're not thinking in formal terms now. To get your mind working a little bit toward where we're going in the message today, before I introduce the character today, we're, we're zooming forth in time about 160 years from Joseph last week. And uh, to introduce this, imagine that a uh, a trillion dollar company. It's a global company. They pull you. Uh, you're one of six people. They pull you guys out, and they say, "Look, we're we're about to launch this new venture." and it's gonna affect two to three million people, employees of the company, it's a huge company. And so we want you guys to sift through resumes. Please don't go to sleep with me, it gets better. Um, you're gonna sift through resumes and try to pick someone to lead this big venture that's gonna affect uh, two to three million people. So you know, in a short period of time you sift through resumes and you all come back and you're, you're each uh, urged to pick just one out of all the ones you look at. And so the process starts. And what you hear kind of over and over again as well Uh, This person is young, and yet they have experience in this area. They have lots of credentials. They have lots of credibility amongst their peers. They have tremendous communication skills. They are driven. They are ambitious. They've got charisma. Uh, You hear these kinds of things, and and this is just going to be a person that will be able to put this together. Well, almost everyone describes their person the same way. And then there's you, (laughs) and you present yours, and you say, Well, I wanna say with confidence, I believe my candidate is the right one, the very best one, and then you start. My candidate is, first of all, 80 years old. And people just kinda, you know, their eyebrows raise up. And my candidate uh, has no credentials whatsoever, uh, has no credibility with peers, has no experience in this area that we're hiring for whatsoever, and uh, my, my candidate has, to be honest, pretty poor communication skills and zero charisma and has no ambition, no drive, no interest, actually, in leading anything. So there's my candidate. And they say, well, come on. So they're laughing at this point. They're like, okay, okay, ha-ha, we get the joke. It's funny. And you're like, no, no, I'm, I'm serious. Well, then they say, what is it? What makes you think it's someone like this, an 80-year-old that has no ambition, no interest, no credentials, no credibility with peers, no experience, no charisma, poor communication skills. Why, why do you think that someone like this would be a good candidate? And you look all of the rest of your teammates in the eye and you say, well, because God has called this person to lead this position. And God told this person that he would be with this person as they lead. And once again, your team members laugh at you, report you to the boss, and you lose your job. That's the way that would probably go. <laughs> and then there's one part you, you add in. You say, there is one thing about this person, the reason that they've been kind of out of the loop for a while. They, they committed a murder about 40 years ago, and they've been in hiding for 40 years, and hence they lack the you know, experience and so forth like that. And once again, they drive you out of there. What I've just described to you is a real resume, a real person, and the person is Moses. Now, you may or may not have known this. You may or may never have thought about it like this. I mean, he's considered this enormously effective leader to have led the greatest enterprise, two to three million people he leads, you know, out of the Egyptian bondage. Israelites are living in Egypt. They're in hard, oppressive labor. And he leads them out, leads them to the point of helping them transition into becoming a nation And he does this with this kind of a track record. The guy is a murderer who has been on the run for 40 years in hiding when God calls him to this task. Just curious, how many knew that about Moses? Okay, some did, some did. Let's take a closer look now. Let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles and our New Year on the Chairs to page, uh, let's see, it'll be page 62. And I'm actually going to start in chapter 2 and we're going to read verse 10 and a little little bit of background I suppose I should give you what has happened since Joseph died other pharaohs have been uh, have come along and they're very concerned that the Israelites are having children more rapidly than the Egyptians and their population has grown enormous like I say two to three million people living within Egypt and they're concerned that these people could just overrun us so They tell the the Israelite uh, midwives that whenever you see a boy that is born to an Israelite woman, put it to death because they don't want any males multiplying. The Israelite midwives, they refuse to do this and so then Pharaoh just steps in and makes an edict. He says, okay, we're killing all males that are born uh, to the Israelites and so it's a very, very difficult time. They're taking the Israelites, using them as a labor force, very oppressive labor, but this one lady... Uh, she has a baby, an Israelite baby, and she hides it for three months. And then she puts it in a little basket, floats it down the Nile in hopes that somebody will come and take the child. Of course, it turns out, if you've seen the story, read the story, or watched uh, the Ten Commandments, the 1959 version, that's the only good one. Um, if you haven't seen it, you ought to see it. If Moses is not like Charlton Heston, I'm going to be deeply disappointed. I mean, because you can't beat that. That's what Moses should be like. Um, But it's Pharaoh's daughter that ends up with this baby that's floated down uh, the Nile River. So let me pick up now. You have the background. In chapter 2, verse 10, it says, When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, Because I drew him from the water. In those days when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people, and he observed their hard labor, and he saw an Egyptian man attacking a Hebrew man, one of his own people. He looked this way and that and saw that no one was there, and he attacked the Egyptian and concealed the body in the sand. When he went out on the next day, there were two Hebrew men fighting. So he said to the one who was in the wrong, "'Why are you attacking your fellow Hebrew?' The man replied, "'Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Are you planning to kill me like you killed that Egyptian?' Then Moses was afraid, thinking, "'Surely what I did has become known.' When Pharaoh heard about this event, he sought to kill Moses, So Moses fled from Pharaoh, and he settled in the land of Midian, and he settled by a certain well. And we'll pause there. Now, when you read this story, it gives you a lot of facts about Moses' early beginning, but there's parts that are left out, and we won't have those important parts unless we go to the New Testament. In the New Testament, there's a man named Stephen. He actually turns out to be the first Christian martyr. And he's engaged in this fierce argument with the religious leaders, the same religious leaders that put Jesus to death. He is engaged with them, telling them that Jesus is the Messiah, is the Christ. And in the process, he's showing them how rebellious the Israelites have been through their history and how even when Moses, their initial founder, came along, they didn't do well with him. But it throws some additional light for us. So let me share a couple verses with you from Acts It says in Acts chapter 7, verse 22, this is Stephen talking, led by the Holy Spirit. It says, so Moses was trained in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in his words and deeds. But when he was about how old? 40, 40 years old, it entered into his mind to visit his fellow countrymen, the Israelites. When we read about how he visited them and ends up killing an Egyptian, we now know he was 40 years old. Let's go on. Verse 25, it says, he thought his own people would understand that God was delivering them through him. But they did not understand. Remember, the Hebrew, the next day he's trying to break up the fight between two Hebrews and the guy says, what are you going to do, kill me too? And so here's the thing I want to get in your mind. When Moses was 40 years old, we now know he went out there, was about to present himself to the Jews. He thought that he was supposed to be the one to deliver them from the Egyptians. But the Israelites, they didn't feel the same way. So Moses flees. And for the next 40 years of his life, uh, well, let, let's look at another verse. In Acts chapter 7, verse 30. After, so he was 40 years old. When he went out there, he killed the Egyptian. Then he runs to Midian. He flees. After 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the desert of Mount Sinai in the flame of a what? Burning bush, we all know the burning bush thing. You probably told jokes about the burning bush and so forth. All right, now, let's do some math. He was 40 years old when he thought he was ready to lead the people of Israel. He kills the Egyptian, he runs, and and he's in Midian for another 40 years. So how old was Moses when he saw the burning bush? This is not a trick question. 80. Hence, when I was given that resume description, an 80-year-old guy. Now, it was interesting, when we looked at the earlier description, when he was 40, it says he was strong in the wisdom of the Egyptians and mighty in word and in deed. But that's not what we find at age 80. So let's pick up reading again and get a little bit better picture of this. So let's turn back to chapter 3, and uh, let's start in verse 1, and then I'll kind of jump you a bit. It says, Now Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, not to be confused with the Beverly Hillbillies. This is prior Pre-Beverly Hillbillies. (laughs) The the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came uh, to the mountain of God, Horeb. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from within a bush. he looked, and the bush was ablaze with fire, but it was not consumed. So Moses thought, I will turn aside to see this amazing sight. Why does the bush not burn up? Then the Lord saw him, excuse me, when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to look, God called to him from within the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here am I. And God said, do not approach any closer. Take your sandals off your feet for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And he added, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord says, Surely I have seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So here's this introduction. Moses is 80 years old. The past 40 years, he has been nothing but a shepherd in Midian. He's a fugitive from justice, hiding out, probably feeling pretty comfortable at this point that he's not going to be prosecuted. And all of a sudden, his life starts to get turned upside down. Now let's jump down to verse 10. God makes him aware that he knows about the terrible condition of the Israelites. And then in verse 10, he says this So now, the Lord says to Moses out of the burning bush, So now, go and I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So now it gets personal. He's saying, Moses, you're 80 years old, but I want you to lead something. God is absolutely going to call each and every one of us to lead something at some time in our life. It may be for a short season. It may be for a long season. It may be something that is very easy to spot as a leadership kind of a situation for a short time. It may not be easy. It may be very small. I'm going to illustrate that as the message goes on. But you need it and I need it. We need to lead when God calls us to lead and call us to lead, all of us. He calls us to lead something. And when we do... It allows him to kind of work in us and work through us in ways that we would never believe feasible or possible. Now, I want you to see what Moses' attitude is about this miraculous experience that he's just had with God. God's called him to go and to be the deliverer. He wanted to do it when he was 40. Now that he's 80, let's see what he's like now. By the way, he lives to be 120, and it says he had full vigor until he died. So 80 wasn't that bad when you consider that. So here's verse 11. Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh or that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He replied, surely I will what? I will be with you. That changes everything. That's the game changer. I'll be with you. And this will be the sign that I've sent you when you bring the people out of Egypt and they will serve God on this mountain. But but let's listen to what Moses is saying. He's saying, come on, who am I? I'm an 80-year-old shepherd. I've been been chasing sheep for 40 years. I'm a fugitive from justice in Egypt. I'm not the right person for this. I have no credibility. I have no credentials. I'm I'm not the guy. I'm just curious, how many times have you maybe been in a situation where leadership was needed or or some kind of help maybe was needed with something, and you wanted to help, you thought about helping, but then you feel like, "Ah, I'm, I'm not the I'm not the one to try to do this. Just curious, how many have ever had that experience? Can you see your hands? You and Moses have more in common than you suspect. Let's go on. Verse 13, Moses said to God, if I go to the Israelites and I tell them the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask me what is his name, what should I say to them? He's saying, God, I'm going to go to these people, two to three million people, and and I don't even know who you are. Listen, for 80 years of Moses' life, it doesn't appear that he had any relationship with God, that he cared about God, that he knew about God, that he had any kind of understanding, any information about God. And so he's saying, how can I go to these people and tell them, God's telling me to tell you to come on out of Egypt, and I don't even know who you are. I don't even know your name. I don't have enough understanding of you, God, to do this. You ever felt that way, that way that You just don't quite understand God enough. Well, the Lord gives him a name, or gives his name to Moses. He says in verse 14, God said to Moses, I am that I am. We just sang that song, The Great I Am. That's where it comes from. When Jesus was on earth, you know, some 1,400 to 1,500 years later, Jesus said, I'm the I am. It was Jesus that Moses was encountering way back here. When Jesus was on earth, he told told the religious leaders that, that I'm the I am. It's the name that God gave him. So he goes on to say, tell him, I am has sent me to you. So that answered that problem that Moses had. Now in verse 18, it says something interesting. We won't read the whole verse, but just the beginning. It says, the elders will listen to you. So he tells Moses, listen, the elders are going to pay attention to you. Count on it. But then in verse 19, he says, but I know the king of Egypt will not let you go, not even under force. And you remember the story if you watched the Ten Commandments, and if you haven't, you really should. Charlton Heston brings ten plagues on the Egyptians and ultimately they are brought out and by the way those 10 plagues are not arbitrary but each one was aimed at one of the false gods or goddesses of Egypt and so it was giving the Egyptians a wake-up call and a chance to know there is one true God one true creator he's the almighty and he's also full of grace and he's calling his people and you as well if you would respond out of the darkness into his light so that's just an aside let's pick back up now in chapter 4 verse 1 Moses answered again and and if they do not believe me or pay attention to me but say the Lord has not appeared to you the Lord said to him what is in your hand and what was in his hand somebody tell me a staff and what does the Lord tell him to do throw it down and what happens when he throws it down it becomes a snake and the scripture says Moses ran from it so you know it's pretty credible now here's the, the thing that Moses is saying here. He's saying, come on. I'm, I'm going to walk into the Israelite camp. I'm 80 years old. I smell like sheep. All I've ever done is shepherd for 40 years. And I'm going to tell them, hey, guys, God came to me and told me to, to bring you guys out. In there. He's saying, they're not going to believe that. They're, they're never going to believe that. And so God says, okay, I'm going to give you some supernatural reinforcement to compel them. But again, can't we identify with those feelings that I can't speak to somebody? I can't help. I, I I can't lead in this thing. I I'm not able. Nobody's going to take me serious. I don't have what it takes. Well, it goes on. It gets a little a little deeper yet. If you look at chapter four, verse ten, then Moses said to the Lord, "Oh, oh, my Lord, I am not a what? Eloquent man." I'm a poor communicator, in other words. He says, Lord, you got the wrong guy here. I'm not an eloquent man, uh, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. For I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. The Lord said to him, who gave a mouth to man? Or who makes a person mute or deaf or see or blind? Is not I, the Lord. So now go, and I will be with your mouth and will teach you what you must say. So what is Moses saying? He's saying, Lord, come on, you got the wrong guy. I'm a lousy communicator. They're not, they're not. I have no charisma. They're not going to listen to me. Come on, you know I'm not good at speaking. Get somebody else to do this. And once again, these are common feelings, I think. When we see those opportunities to lead something and we kind of sense maybe God wants us to, to help in some way, but we say, ah, I'm not, I'm not the right one. I, I, I can't even say things correctly. And then, I love it, Moses finally gets to what he was really feeling in verse 13. But Moses said, oh, Lord, please send anyone else whom you wish to send. This was Moses just saying, Lord, don't you get it? I don't want to go. I'm not interested. I've given you four different excuses here, and you don't seem to hear me. I have no interest in helping these people. I don't feel qualified. I feel uncomfortable. It's way out of my comfort zone. Uh, I have no ambition to do this. Leave me alone. There's got to be a better candidate than me. Surely, Lord, one of your other people will do a better job at this than me. Now, let's have a moment of honesty. Have you ever had a moment or a time where there was a slot for you to jump in to do something, to help, to lead something? But you felt so uncomfortable. It was so out of your comfort zone. You felt so unqualified, no credibility, no credentials. Maybe you convinced yourself you don't have the communication skills. Uh, all down the line. And then it finally comes down to you think, I know God's got to have somebody better at this than me. So I'm just going to back off and God will get somebody better equipped to do this. Moment of honesty. How many have ever thought that, done that? Can I see your hands? What if what you and I tend to think of as being liabilities, what if, in fact, they're our greatest assets? What Moses thought were weaknesses, what if, what if, in fact, they are what made him the perfect candidate? You say, but Randy, what about the murder? Well, I'm not saying go murder somebody. But I don't think you do that and forget it easily. And I think. you. It does something to your soul if you let it do the right things and it tends to make you a broken, humble person. You're going to see later on in this message that that's exactly what it evidently did to Moses. So when God opens those spaces for us to lead something, to help in some way, but we go through those interior hesitancies, it might be good for us to recall that Moses felt the same way. Chuck Colson, who... uh, Started a global prison ministry and led it for a multitude of years. He he turned to Christ in 1973, the same year that I did. You you remember the Watergate scandal? You know, Colson was like Richard Nixon's hatchet man. He he was the most uh, you know violent sort of person when it came to anybody that opposed Nixon policies and so forth. But then in the Watergate situation, uh, Colson was arrested and actually did time in jail. And it was during. Uh, This time, when his arrest was pending, he read C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. Just curious, anybody read Mere Christianity? If you hadn't, you ought to get it. It's a small read, but it is a powerful read. And he turned to Christ. Now, nobody believed that he turned to Christ. he's, He's full of baloney. He's just doing that because he's going to jail. He's just saying he's a Christian. But he spent the rest of his life serving Christ. He proved that he had faith by his actions. Started a global prison ministry And served it to the day that he died. And he just died back in 2012. He was 80 years old. But listen to this quote from uh, Colson. He said, The great paradox of my life is that every time I walk into a prison and see the faces of men or women who have been transformed by the power of the living God, I realize that the thing God has chosen to use in my life is none of the, what is the word? None of the successes. None of the achievements, degrees, awards, honors, or cases I won before the Supreme Court. That, that's not what God's using in my life. What God is using in my life to touch the lives of literally thousands of other people is the fact that I was a convict, and I went to prison. That was my great defeat—the only thing in my life I didn't succeed in. But was it a defeat, or was it maybe the most uh, beneficial thing that ever happened in his life? Well. You know, history says the most beneficial thing. What if the things, the doubts, the feelings of inadequacy that we struggle with, what if they are the very best parts of what qualify us to lead something, to help in some way, to jump in and make ourselves available? The Apostle Paul also felt the same feelings of inadequacy. Chosen of the Holy Spirit to write 13 books in the New Testament, served Christ for 30 years, died a martyr's death But listen to his feelings. When he went to the Corinthians, went to the city of Corinth to try to start a gathering of followers of Christ, here's the way he felt inside. And I was with you, meaning he was with the Corinthians, I was with you in weakness and in, what is the word? Fear and much trembling. This guy was not feeling confident. He was not feeling competent. He was scared. He was shaking when he was serving God by serving the Corinthians. He adds to this in the book of 2 Corinthians his feelings. He says now now we have such confidence in God through Christ. So he says my confidence is big when it comes to my confidence in God through Christ, but not that we are what is the word adequate. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as it were coming from ourselves, but our ad- adequacy is from who? God. Moses was a lousy speaker. He had no ambition. He didn't want the job. He was a fugitive on the run for 40 years. He had no experience. He had no credentials. He had no credibility. He didn't even care. Let's be honest. And I think those were the things that made him such a useful candidate. What if the things that you feel like make you unuseful, unqualified, your fear your self-doubt, your feelings of inadequacy, your poor communication skills, whatever it is that you conjure up in your mind that make you say, Lord, someone else, someone else will do it better than me. What if that's the very thing that God says, that's perfect, your resume is the exact one I'm looking for. Just stay that way. Stay a little humble and a little scared so that your confidence will be in me, not in yourself, so that great things can really be accomplished. So we need to discern spiritually the things that God has called us to lead. And again, like I said earlier, don't think in grandiose terms. If you're a parent, there it is. You're to lead these children. Sometimes it's just helping a friend. We just think, of it. well, I I just helped. I just showed them how to build this thing. I just showed them how to clean this thing. I just showed them how to figure this out or invest that. But that's leading. You're leading for a season in someone's life. Don't minimize that. Don't think that's small. It it might just bring... um, tremendous change in you because what happens when we start to lead in the right way we start to become selfless and we start to pour ourselves into somebody else and that's a purifying experience it expands and stretches our hearts and our souls and we become just a little bit more like Christ because we're stretched out of that comfort zone and are forced to depend on God and to give ourselves to someone else these are good experiences so when we do get that clarity, clarity that, that God's calling me to lead something, it might just be for a season, then we need to just completely embrace it selflessly. And Moses ultimately did. After all of his resistance, he finally did. And we know the story, of course. Listen to this verse from Hebrews talking about uh, Moses and his attitude ultimately. It says, Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant, and leadership is always servant. Jesus said that he that will be great among you must be the servant of all. Leading is always just serving. But Moses was faithful. And it says to testify the things that will be spoken. So the thing that you and I are just called to do and to be is, is just be faithful. Just do what we can while we can and trust God in the process. To show you how simple it can be to, to lead when God calls you to lead, there's a guy named Kevin Miller, he's been with Christianity Today, one of the, the leaders at Christianity Today, he's held various roles for 26 years. He's also a pastor of a church and he tells a story about when he was a kid growing up his dad had a two hour commute and so he was never home at dinner and so he kind of grew up with a, a, a father that was there but not there, kind of absent father, never had the communication, never had the interaction with him that he hungered for and he said he always felt like Christ would be enough that he, he'd be okay to to deal with people and to be kind of a spiritual father so forth for people and then he hit the wall at about age 40 and and he realized that he was just ill-equipped to be able to spiritually father other people and he was breaking down, literally having one of these change of life breakdowns and his wife said, you know, the only thing I know to tell you to do is why don't you just go to Doug, talk to Doug. Doug was an older guy that he knew, a more experienced Christian. He said, just tell him, you know, you need somebody to kind of reparent you, to father you. And Kevin Miller was humble enough to do that. And so for 11 years, he met with this guy, Doug, this older Christian, and they talked and they shared and they prayed. Only on two occasions did Doug actually give Kevin Miller any advice, but it was good advice and he listened to it. But it worked, okay? Now, if you were to have asked Doug, Doug, you ever ever think about those 11 years that you led Kevin Miller? He would probably think, are you kidding me? Me lead Kevin Miller? Kevin Miller is, you know, esteemed pretty highly. But that's exactly what he was doing. He probably didn't think of it as being anything other than there. I was just there. I just cared. I was just available. But he was actually leading. He was mentoring him at a crucial point in his life. He was literally showing him how to be fathered so that he could father the people that were under his care. So when I'm talking about leading, don't think in these big, grandiose, formal terms. Think in terms of the kinds of things that might pass by your life each and every day. Now, there's one more thing about Moses, and uh, it's a critical one. It says this in Numbers, Numbers chapter 12. It says, now, the man Moses was very what? "But, But how humble was he? More so than any man on the face of the earth. This is God's estimation of this guy. He said he's the most humble man on the earth. That, in my opinion, is what qualified him to lead this amazing this amazing venture, two to three million people. He would take them from being just a mass of people and turning them into the very nation of God. He would be the one that would receive God's laws. God had not been communicating his laws, his principles, behavior to anyone. This was the start of something new. Now God was going to start a written record. Moses is the start of what we call the Bible. God writing things down, having things written. God gives 613 laws to the Israelites. We think about the Big Ten, but there were 613. Most of them were national legislative type of things, but nevertheless, Moses is the guy that did that. And Moses leads these people for 40 years, and they were not easy to lead. If you read the story, you'll see. Before they ever got to the border of the promised land, which they got there quite, quite quickly, they broke down and rebelled against him 10 times, and they just kept it on for the rest of the journey. But I think that the key was that he was humble. And that's why God could use him in such an extraordinary way. And so that's, that's, a, that's a, a standard, a mark that each of us can kind of live up to if we choose. It goes on to say this in Deuteronomy 34. It says, no prophet ever again arose in Israel like Moses who knew the Lord. What does it say? Face to face. The Lord would come down in a pillar of a cloud over what they called the tent of meeting. It was the tabernacle. God had given specifications on how to build it. And when Moses wanted to communicate or when the Lord wanted to communicate with him, he would go into this tabernacle and God would show a form of himself and he would speak face to face with Moses. And I think, again, it's because Moses... As he took this leader, this, this willingness to stretch to lead something, it drew him closer to God. It expanded his capacity to want to know God, to know God, and it allowed him to come into an experience of an intimacy with God that he would have never come into had he not led the thing that God asked him to lead. Let's think about it. If he would have stayed in Midian herding sheep for the next 40 years, he would have never known God in an intimate way, never known God's word and will, his laws. He would have never been a key agent to help others know God's will and word and laws. It, it all was about his willingness to just be humble and just be available. In Exodus 33:13, 13, we read something else really interesting about him. It says, This is right after a terrible event had happened. The uh, Israelites, Moses goes up to the mountain. You probably remembered if you saw the Ten Commandments, and if you haven't, you should get it, 1959 version. Uh, Charlton Heston goes up to the mountain. God, you know, writes the Ten Commandments with his own finger, you know, on the tablets, the stone tablets. Meanwhile, back down at the bottom of the mountain, you know, because he's up there for 40 days. He's lost all track of time. He's in the eternal presence of God. He doesn't care about food, water, or anything. He says he goes up another 40 days, doesn't eat or drink. He doesn't even need to. But anyway, the people get restless. They say, this clown's abandoned us. So, Aaron, you're his brother. Make us some gods that will lead us back to Egypt. And Aaron is one of these wishy-washy guys. He says, well, give me your jewelry. And they throw it in the fire and out pops, he says. This is his excuse. Out popped a golden calf. Well, I think he did a little shaping there. So the people are in rebellion and God says, man, you, you got to go down, Moses. The people, they, they're in total rebellion now. So Moses goes down and you might recall, remember, remember what Charlton does? He gets his tablets and he smashes them. I mean, God just wrote them and he smashes them. I mean, I'd be a little scared if I was him, but he smashes them. And the people then realize, oh, shoot, we're in trouble now. So... It's after that experience, right on the heels of it, that you're going to read this next verse. And, and, and it's pretty remarkable. Here we go. It was 32 where the rebellion occurred, 30, Exodus 33. The Lord, no, 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 no. I don't know what you just did. Please stay there. Don't, don't, don't hop like that anymore. <laughs> now, if I have found favor in your sight, show me your way that I may know you that I may continue to find favor in your sight. Now, he's been up on the mountain with God, but now this man that for the first 80 years of his life didn't give a rip about God, he is in love. He, he's awestruck. He can't get enough of God. He says, hey, you know, I, I've been up there. You've written your laws, but, but show me. Your, I want to know your way. I want to be able to please you. I want to have your favor all the time. He goes on. He goes further. And the Lord said to him, he says, my presence will go with you, and I'll give you rest and then Moses ups it. He says, show me your what? Glory. Now, mind you, this is a guy that saw tremendous miracles. He saw the 10 plagues, the miraculous plagues that God brought upon the Egyptians. He saw the Red Sea open and the people walking through on dry ground and it closing back up on the Egyptians. He saw God bringing supernatural food called manna from heaven and feeding this mass of 2 to 3 million people. He had seen miracle after miracle. So he was not talking about miracles. We have a group of Christians that are infatuated with miracles. That's not God's glory. What was Moses asking for there's an interesting verse in 2 Corinthians 5 in, in the New Testament. It says that we see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The glory of God. It's his almighty power controlled by his sacrificial love that was perfectly revealed in Christ. Moses is saying, I've seen, I've seen something so beautiful in you. It just aches inside of me to know who you are. I want to see your heart. I want to see everything there is that a human being can know about you. I'm stunned by you. I'm in love is what Moses is saying. Now, Randy, why, why are you going off on this? Because if he hadn't have been willing to lead What God called him to lead, no indication he would have ever known God in this intimate way. No indication he would have ever loved God in this passionate way. Some of you know what I'm talking about. It's as you were willing to take steps out of your comfort zone and start to lead something that God wanted you to lead. It took you deeper and deeper. You became more dependent upon God. All of a sudden, something started to change. You start loving God for himself. You love his righteousness for its own intrinsic worth. You cannot get enough of him. You desperately want others to know him. And it never would have happened if you hadn't started leading something and allowing God and the leading process to stretch you and pull you and you know kind of realign some things inside you now there's a sad part to the story Uh, Moses leads these people for uh, 40 years the reason it took so long to get to the promised land it really didn't it only took 16 months actually to get to the border of the promised land but when the people saw that there were armies and Canaanites and Nephilim in the promised land they wouldn't trust God they wouldn't go in and fight and take the land so that's why they had to wander around in the wilderness until the new generation came along And so Moses leads these rebels around in the wilderness, still caring for them like they're his own children for 39 years. And all of a sudden, an incident occurs. Early in the journey, there was a time where the Israelites didn't have enough water. And the Lord tells Moses, he says, listen, I want you to go to this rock and just take your staff and bang, bang the rock with the staff and water will gush out and the Israelites will have water. So Moses complied. This was early in the journey. Well, now toward the end of the journey, just one year left It's Moses' 39th year in the journey, and the Israelites are complaining like crazy again. We need water, we need water. And so the Lord tells me, He says, All right, all right. He says, Moses, look, go to the rock. And this time, when you go to the rock, though, don't hit it with your staff. Don't do that like you did the first time. This time, just speak to the rock, and water will gush out. Well, you can read about it on your own. It does not turn out pretty. Moses has had it. These people have been on him, they've threatened to stone him a couple times. And he gets up on that rock and he says, you bunch of stinking rebels. Do I have to bring water out of this rock for you? And he gets his staff and he whacks the rock. And sure enough, water comes out. But then the Lord pulls him aside and says, buddy, you really blew it, man. You dishonored me before the people. I said, speak to the rock. 1 Corinthians 10 tells us Christ was the rock. Christ was smitten one time. But since then, he's risen, and we speak to him. Now, Moses didn't understand all that, but what he did understand was what God told him to do. And then God gives him the bad news. He said, Moses, you know, man, you've led these people 39 years, but you're not going to be allowed to go in the promised land. You dishonored me. You distrusted me before the people. You failed, buddy. I want you going up on Mount Nebo about a year from now. I want you to go up there, and you can look at the promised land, but you're going to die looking at it. You're not going to enter it. Kind of sad, 39 years, blown, one incident. So let me ask you this. Was he a failure? What if you go past your comfort zone, trust God, you start leading something, and what if it doesn't turn out well? Was Moses a failure? Would you be a failure? Well, there's a New Testament passage that clarifies this for us. Here it is, it's in Luke chapter 9. Many of you are familiar with it. Jesus has told his disciples some of them would see the kingdom before they would die. He takes Peter, James, and John, his inner circle. They go to the mount we call the Mount of Transfiguration. And it says, as he prayed, meaning Jesus, his face began to glow until it was blinding glory streaming from him. His entire body was illuminated with a radiant glory. His brightness became so intense that it made his clothing blinding white, like multiple flashes of lightning. It goes on. All at once, two men appeared in glorious splendor. And the first one is who? Moses. This is roughly 1,500 years later. My man is very much alive, and he's in the inner circle of heaven. Elijah, who never saw death but had been taken up to heaven roughly 800 years earlier, they're both very much alive. And look at what an inner circle they are. They spoke with Jesus about his soon departure, meaning the cross, from this world. And the things he was destined to accomplish in Jerusalem. He was going to give the full revelation of God when he hung upon that cross in Jerusalem. But Moses, far from being a failure, in the sight of God, was still very much inner circle kind of a person. Why am I even bothering with this? Because you and I, being human, are scared of failure. Failure. We're afraid of trying something, stepping out of our comfort zone, leading something and failing and thinking that we will be even further down, uh, not, in our own, not only in our own eyes but in God's eyes and I'm telling you, you step out of your comfort zone, you trust God, you lead something, I want you to leave. You absolutely have succeeded by the very act of being willing to step out and it just might be the key to you becoming somebody that you won't become in any other way, experiencing wonderful redemptive things that you won't be able to experience in any way, and bringing blessing to the lives of others that that really goes beyond your imagination now. And even if it's only one, you know what? Christ died for just one as well as all. And that means it's worthwhile. I'm going to close today with a real person, real experience, Listen carefully to some of the feelings that this person, this is from, person from our congregation had pertaining this call from God to lead something. And then I'll come back and close out with a couple of thoughts.
1: Well, I started attending FCF about nine years ago. Uh, was just retiring from the uh, Air Force and uh, was also really just kind of starting my, you know, real personal walk with Christ. We were hearing messages from Randy that talked about, you know, you have to kind of plug into the community and plug into a ministry. So um, I ran into local uh, rescue mission um, and joined that team. And when I joined that team, uh, I really thought it was just kind of to, to serve food. So we started serving uh, at rescue mission and then uh, the leader actually got called uh, to lead another ministry and was looking for uh, someone else to step up and take that uh, leadership role. My first reaction was no, no, and mostly it was because I felt unqualified, Uh, but my wife Lynn and I prayed about it and said that if no one stood up and took it, that we would do it. And no one uh, stepped up, so we stepped up to, to lead the team. Well, I think really our, our, our biggest challenges were we're just, you know, the processes and I guess getting the trust of the partners uh, because, you know, they, like everybody else, think everybody's in it for something. You know, if you are helping, you know, what, what is your real motive for, for, for coming down here and helping us? You know, so, you know sometimes kind of takes some time, but, you know, consistency, you know, always wins out. You know, you can only put up a facade for so long. And uh, I think when they saw that we were you know, real and that we really love Christ and that we really love that community, uh, then we started really making some headway with our partners. So uh, when we initially took over the team, uh, uh, we pretty much were focused on rescue mission and serving food. You know, Seeing families come into rescue mission for lunch and have no real support and no one to really talk to them about Christ. And so that's when we started seeing that we had to make an intentional leap to the point of you know, engaging with that community. Uh, so when we first started serving at the Allen P. Linton Emergency Shelter for the Homeless, we started serving behind the desk. And they really kind of preferred that you not interact with the uh, clients. Uh, my wife Lynn said, uh, we're really gonna have to intentionally have one-on-one relationships and I was more than a little reluctant because that's just so far out of my comfort zone but you know watching her you know because I know it's not really her thing either but she really just relied on God and watching God move and work through her and watching the relationships that she forged you know just by going down there and being available really you know helped me in my confidence to go down there and then uh, eventually all of us just really kind of got into it and now we can't imagine not going we can't imagine missing a week Um, so we really came a long way with that so uh, the impact that we've seen has just been so inspirational to to us and our team because we see you know real changed lives we see people that have really come to christ um, we see people that are moving out of homelessness. We see people that are really having hope now. Um, I, but I think the, the biggest impact is to go from where we went, where no one trusted us and didn't even want to talk to us to now, you know, we were there on a Thursday and uh, a new person came in who was newly homeless. And so someone else that was homeless, you know, said, hey, uh, let me show you the rope, show you around. And then when he said, if you don't have a church home, you should come to our church. He didn't say go to their church or that church up on 15th. He said, you need to come to our church. Uh, I guess when I, before this ministry, when I looked at the homeless community, I, I kind of, uh, can't say that I did see them or I didn't see them. They were just people I just kind of walked past. But I can tell you that through this experience of getting to know this community through this mission and through this ministry, uh, they are my family. They are you know people that I absolutely love and uh, would do anything for. When I think back to being offered this opportunity and having that option, uh, I guess, if I if I had passed on this opportunity, it would have been the biggest mistake of my life.
0: Did you notice some of his words? Uh, no, no. When the opportunity to lead came, felt unqualified. Later on. Out of his comfort zone, totally out of his comfort zone. But then he said things like, but, but they learned to rely on Christ. And, and then the key thing said, so we decided to be available. And then at the end, if we hadn't, a, if we hadn't stepped up to lead where they didn't feel qualified, didn't feel comfortable, but they felt that nudge from God. Um, so it would have been the biggest mistake of their life. That, that's a very big thing to think about. Look at the experiences that would not have been theirs had they not been willing to just lead something that God called them to lead. So now we've got to get personal with this. What is it, and only you and God can figure this out, what is it that God's been calling you to lead or maybe wants you to lead right now and you've been reluctant, you feel unqualified, whatever it is that's kept you from it, that you need to say, you know what, I'm just going to be available and I'm going to trust God to give me the competence that I need and I'm going to Watch and see what it is that he wants to do in me, through me, and in the lives of others. I hope, I hope so much that each of you will know God is going to call you to lead something. It is for your good, my good, our development, our growth. Embrace it selflessly. There's one last line I'd like to share with you. It's simple. Embrace God-given opportunities to lead. That's what they are. They're opportunities to lead. They might be the key to the life you were always meant to have. Let's pray. Father, you know each of us. You know our hearts. You know our lives. You know exactly what you've called us to lead. Give us boldness this day that we can celebrate together later on. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.